Welcome to another episode of B2B Nation, the official technology advice podcast for sales and marketing professionals. I'm your host, Chris Kleinfelter, and I recently had the opportunity to speak with Adam Maud, a senior director at CEB, and Jessica Cash, the head of sales and marketing solutions for new product development at CEB. We discussed how individuals with challenger skills tend to be higher performers, whereas those who are stronger with relationship building skills were weaker. One of the problems outlined with relationship building is that it starts and stops with creating trust and rapport with the customer. And while that's important today, it's not enough. We talked about how challengers essentially do three things. First, they're teaching consumers and demonstrating expertise as business advisors. Second, they're tailoring and simplifying the purchase for their customers. And lastly, challengers are taking control. They're reducing the burden on the customer and guiding them to avoid risks and help with implementation. All in all, it was a really great interview. Both Jessica and Adam had a lot of wonderful insights to share. And without further ado, here's my interview with Adam and Jessica. Enjoy. Welcome to the B2B Nation, Adam and Jessica. Thanks for talking with me today. Good to be here. Likewise. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, hey, we're really excited that both of you are here. And uh, before we discuss the Challenger Method, uh, why don't why doesn't each of you tell us a little bit more about your backgrounds and your roles at CEB? Sure. I'll get started. This is Jessica Cash, and I serve as head of our new product development team for our sales and marketing clients. And in that role, I'm responsible for taking all the powerful research that our teams do that are in the Challenger Sale and the Challenger Customer Books and bringing that to our global clients with training programs, software, and consulting engagements. And um, I'm thrilled to share that our services have supported over $1 billion in documented revenue impact for our clients and have served over 80,000 sellers and tens of thousands of managers along the way. So uh, it's one of the things I love best about my role is really helping sellers, marketers consistently bring a more thought-provoking, customer-focused approach to every one of their customers, and that's a big part of what I do at CEB. That's amazing. Hey, Adam, how about you? Yes, thanks very much. Um, yeah, my name's Adam Maud. I'm a senior director here um, with CEB Sales and Marketing Effectiveness Practice. Um, my primary responsibility here is working with um, both new and existing customers on, you know, architecting implementations uh, around Challenger as a commercial strategy model, uh, and making sure that they're implemented end to end, so that organizations can see the type of results that um, that the model is capable of delivering. I've been with our organization for about nine years. Um, six of those based out of our uh, headquarters over in London, a European headquarters, uh, and then recently relocated to to the U.S. about three three or so years ago, based out of our um, headquarters here in Washington, D.C. Well, welcome back to the States, and uh, uh, we're certainly, again, very glad that you're here today. And uh, So let's talk about the Challenger methodology. I mean, CEB, they wrote the book on this. So, so tell us, as the experts, what is the Challenger sale? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's, a, it's a, a short question, but there's a long answer to it. But in, in simple terms, um, it's eight years of ongoing research to really understand, um, you know, what is the heart of commercial effectiveness today. Um, it started off back in 2008 in essentially what has now become the largest statistical study of sales professional behavior, uh, not just across the globe, but um, throughout history, in fact, um, in terms of wow. what do the world's best salespeople do. Um, and from there, it has evolved our understanding to think about customer strategies and engagement models 
that really do defy a lot of the conventional wisdom when it comes to, to B2B selling. Um, and so as organizations look to pursue it, implementing that model um, has shown and documented significant success uh, for, for many organizations across the globe. So why do you think the challenger method is more effective than traditional relationship building? Yeah, that's a, a question. Gosh, we hear it all the time. We heard it when the research first came out. Uh, I still hear it today. And when we first look at the study that was done, uh, it was clear that individuals with a set of these challenger skills were more likely to be high performers and achieve higher quotas than those with weaker challenger skills. So when we dug into that, um, in contrast, those with relationship-building skills, which is a little bit more of the traditional focus for development and sales teams, um, those were weaker. And one of the problems with a focus on relationship-building as the be-all and end-all is that that relationship-building really starts and also stops at creating a trusting rapport with the customer. And frankly, today, that's just not enough. And I did not say that that is not important, um, but a good relationship is now table stakes today. Uh, and I was speaking to a sales leader that was newer to the challenger concept recently, and she asked me a very similar question. She said, what's the magic behind the power of challenger selling and marketing? And my answer to her was simple, is that at the end of the day, challengers are delivering really powerful insight that's tailored to different customer stakeholders, and that's speaking to a really perennial human quest for learning, success, risk avoidance, and challengers do three things that really resonate with customers and drive results. So they're teaching customers and demonstrating expertise as a business advisor. So they're not just a rep for your company. And this is setting a seller apart from competitors that are pitching their product or you know, asking open-ended questions around what keeps you up at night. And the second piece is they're tailoring. So they're really thinking about these customer buying groups and simplifying the purchase for their customers, they're helping customers see how their solution, their proposal, can support their business success specifically, not just generically. And finally, they're taking control. So they're really reducing the burden on the customer. They're guiding the customer to avoid risks and manage the path from, hey, that's a really interesting idea, to we're actually starting implementation tomorrow. And when you think about those skills and capabilities in contrast to someone who is only strong at developing a relationship, it's a night and day difference. And I really think that's why the challenger method is more effective than a traditional relationship building approach. So what's the adoption rate been like for the challenger method? Have you seen that a lot of companies are pretty open to it or are um, you know a lot of uh, salespeople still not really sure about how to implement it or even how to understand it to the point that they, they reject it? Uh, what, is, what has that been like? Yeah, I'll share my perspective, and then Adam would love to hear from your clients' perspectives as well. One of the things that I think um, we have really noticed in organizations is initially uh, thinking about being a challenger might, might be a little bit scary. So there are some sales professionals who simply buy that compare and contrast might get a bit anxious. Well, so you're telling me I need to challenge customer thinking? I need to push 
whether their assumptions are actually valid. And so we always talk to companies that if you're simply going to pop in and train your sellers on Challenger and never talk about it again, don't do it. Uh, this is a long-term, sustained strategy over time. Mm-hmm. And when a company takes that approach, we see fantastic adoption because you're tuning how you ask sellers to interact with customers, you're tuning how you market to those customers, and you are consistently reinforcing that approach such that you're redirecting away from open-ended questioning or kind of traditional types of selling approaches, and that then begets success. Uh, The thing that we see from an adoption perspective is in most organizations that are implementing the challenger strategy, we see it just like a new technology adoption. You get early adopters that run right away. You get the fast followers. You get the slower middle. And then you'll always get some laggards. And we're always happy to help companies think about how they hire in the right challengers because not everyone is going to make that transition successfully, and you've got to be okay with that. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, um, Jessica. And, you know, Chris, this is Adam. You know, from, from, from my perspective, what we see a lot in the in the marketplace with organizations that are thinking about adopting this is that, Challenger has a theory of the case, which seems very simplistic if you, if you look at it. So back to my earlier comments, we've essentially conducted the largest statistical study of sales professional behavior. Um, in, interesting enough, the second largest statistical study was conducted in 1978. So between those two time windows, no organization had really studied sales professional behavior with any degree of statistical rigor, which, you know, as a side note, does raise questions around alternative methodologies that might exist out there. But what we simply uncovered was that 39% of the world's highest performing sales professionals behave a certain way. So the theory of the case is the extent to which we can replicate those behaviors across the balance of our sales team Mm -hmm. should stand to see us uplift performance by a significant measure, approximately 14 to 20%. But the reality of the case when it comes down to um, what it physically takes to behave in the way that we've observed these challenger sellers engaging um, is really complex. I mean, the competence bar essentially for professional selling has gone, you know, through the roof in simple terms. Because when you unpack what these professionals are doing, they're essentially engaging customers in a very different way than what conventional wisdom would dictate. Um, they're not asking these open-ended diagnostic questions to uncover needs anymore. Instead, they're teaching customers about unknown or underappreciated needs that they are uniquely positioned to solve with the portfolio products they're representing. Um, that is an absolutely trainable and coachable set of behaviors to switch from that questioning-based approach to that insight-based approach. But in order to deliver an insight-based experience requires you to have a degree of content or information. And when you actually look at what these challenger sellers are doing in their purest form, um, they're analyzing income statements. They're looking at balance sheets. If they can get their hands on the P&L, they're doing it. They're looking at bottom-line profitability issues or finding cash flow problems, doing some root cause analysis on what's underpinning it, and then going and teaching a customer exactly what's causing that problem and how they're uniquely positioned to solve. Is that a fair capability expectation to put on the shoulders of the average performing seller in today's environment? And the answer is probably not. Mm -hmm. So the good news, though, is that with the right organizational support around this, in terms of you as an organization, as a marketing team, as as a product development team, wherever it might sit, even in sales operations or enablement, are able to create that information you can then arm that subset of the sales force that are never really going to be able to create that information or at least adopt that creation sporadically with consistent information that you know delivers that experience, then teach, train, and coach them on how to go out and adopt it. And what we've seen across the marketplace is that has been the big missing link for many organizations that have 
taken the book and, and, and looked at ways to sort of self-implement this model, if you will, that's the big missing link. Um, and of course, politically speaking, it's much easier to say Challenger didn't work as a model rather than realizing that we missed one of the key implementation steps to getting it right. Yeah, so we really touched on some uh, interesting uh, implementation steps even with, with that last answer. But, so, but beyond reading the book, how can a sales leader uh, make challenger selling an integral piece of their strategy? When we, when we think about the leadership team, we often guide, whether it's a global sales team or an individual sales manager with a team of five, six, seven, eight, what have you, we recommend they have to inspect what they expect, and they have to coach. So by the first point, inspect what you expect. Managers will need to reinforce a challenger approach by embedding it in the processes of their team. So that means it, in pre-call plans, it's not who are we meeting with, but what insight are we bringing to the customer we're meeting with, and how are we tailoring it? Those types of small but critical shifts make a huge difference to make sure that managers aren't inadvertently undermining the change that they're asking their teams to take on. <laughs> right. um, one practical example we've seen is win announcements that go out, right? We love to be able to share a great win across our sales team, but maybe focus not just on the closed deal, but the insights and challenger skills that supported the close, right? We brought in this great account. We've been trying to get this customer for the past year and a half. Here's the insight that changed this customer's thinking and got them to invest with us. Mm -hmm. It's those types of processes that you can consistently reinforce to your team. We're going down this journey. We're making this change. And the last piece on coaching, we could have a whole separate conversation on that <laughs> for sure. Yeah. But in general, this is a huge gap in the average commercial organization. And many managers grew into the role from an individual contributor position. This is the, hey, watch me do it. Hey, when I used to sell, I did it this way, approach to coaching. And the difference we see is a sales leader that truly coaches. So they're thinking about their seller and how to tailor their own feedback so that seller is going to receive the information and they create space and opportunity for safe practice and skill building is going to get much higher team success. And we find that in our research on average, great coaches get 19% higher team quota attainment on average and have significantly higher retention rates. So that's 20 points you're leaving on the table by not focusing your own coaching. And if you focus your own coaching and you sustain a challenger strategy, there's far more than 20 points for your team without making any other changes within your organization. So we think there are a couple of very practical changes that leaders and managers can make to make sure that their sellers are consistently bringing a challenger approach to their customers. So we talked a good bit about sales here. Uh, what do you think this challenger approach means for marketers today? One of the biggest uh, misnomers, and we certainly didn't help because we titled the first book The Challenger Sale. Right, uh, right. But one of the biggest points of confusion, right, is that this is just for the sales team. Mm -hmm. And in fact... You know, B2B marketers in particular that are really bringing challenger into their marketing strategies 
can create unstoppable differentiation for their companies because they're connecting more powerfully to prospects and customers because they are, again, focusing rigorously on the needs of their prospect base versus on their own, you know, speeds and feeds and value proposition and what have you. Current state in our research suggests that only 3% of marketing qualified leads actually close in the B2B world. So we have a heck of a lot of opportunity and that gap largely exists because siloed marketing and sales efforts result in the customer experiencing a really disconnected purchase experience. So they're doing research on the web. They see a whole bunch of information. They have a conversation with a seller that feels very different. Uh, Embedding Challenger into the marketing strategy and the sales approach provides more consistency that remains lasered in on the customer. And there's two things that specifically stand out when we see B2B marketers really take it up a notch and bring Challenger into their strategies. So first, we see marketing leaders that really focus on what insight can we develop and create so that we can change the way a customer is thinking about their world, their investments in favor of us. And that leads back to higher customer loyalty and purchase. So first piece, and that's often the bedrock of what the marketing team can really lead and drive. And then secondly, we detail this a whole heck of a lot in the Challenger customer book. Marketers have the opportunity to really fine-tune the type of content that they're developing and then really create fewer, more powerful, more effective content assets that spark customer interest and introduce customers to a new way of thinking, confronting their assumptions all about getting the customer to change their perspective of the world. And that is very different than the average B2B marketing strategy today. It cuts through the clutter and meets the customer where they are learning Mm -hmm. uh, and really shifts the way that they think about your organization. So there's massive implications for B2B marketing. And we really see those leaders that are embracing those approaches making some specific fundamental shifts and generating huge results because there is so much upside and opportunity in the B2B space. Yeah, I would echo, obviously, a lot of what you just said there in terms of the involvement of marketing. Um, I think one thing that I might add to that is, you know, as a sales-only initiative, although, you know, sales professionals taught us a lot about what the future of customer engagement looks like, um, the analogy I often, you know, like to use is, it's, it's a bit like as a sales-only initiative, you know, training for, for an event at the Olympics, you know, through, through regular means, uh, whatever that sport or that event might be. Um, having marketing on board with that process is essentially the Olympics with, you know, performance enhancers being allowed, essentially, um, principally because, you know, as we've talked about before, challenger sellers are building commercial insight independently. Average performers struggle with that competency. So the extent to which marketing can understand how to do that um, and provide that information um, is essentially, um, you know, uh, that, that analogy that I'm using there is equipping that front line more effectively. Um, the other piece of it is also from a Salesforce capacity one, which is, you know, if you were to purely think about this implementation of this model or to think about Challenger by upskilling every seller on your team, they would have to spend significant amounts of their time and day building commercial insights independently. Um, so then you have a variability problem around the value propositions that sellers are creating independently. And so by having marketing involved, um, in partnering very closely with sales, you remove that variability and you reduce that capacity constraint on your sales force 
to allow them to be out in front of the market um, more times uh, than, than obviously um, being internally focused. Um, the other big piece, though, from a marketing standpoint, we see that is a that is a pitfall is to, to your point, um, Jessica, is truly understanding what we mean by commercial insight. You know, I spend a lot of time in market with customers, both existing and, and, and prospective, and the number of false positives that are occurring from a marketing standpoint are immeasurable. Um, and what I mean by that is that many marketing organizations today will, you know, take a, a perspective as to some of the content, the research we created here at CEB, and say, we do that already. We build insight already. Um, and when you actually start to peel back the, 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 the information or the content they've created, um, you understand pretty quickly that it isn't true commercial teaching insight. And there's a very, very fine line between thought leadership and insightful content and true commercial teaching insight. And commercial teaching insight defined as, you know, an issue that is an unknown, underappreciated need linked back to, you know, exclusive differentiators in your portfolio as a supplier. If it doesn't do the latter, it's essentially just insight or, you know, thought leadership content. And that can be a very, very risky proposition if you do go down that path as a marketing organization because there are two big risks that can occur. One is you essentially create this thought leadership or this insightful content. You take it to the marketplace, and their response is, wow, we had no idea this was such a big issue for us. It was such a big risk or it's such a big cost to our business. How can you help and support? And your sales team's response is, well, we can't. We just thought you should know because we're supposed to be insightful. Now, I'm being a little facetious there, but that is an actual scenario that is happening inside of many marketing organizations today. The worst scenario that's occurring um, is one where we're essentially commercially teaching our customers about these new or underappreciated needs that are actually better solved by our biggest competitor. And so we've essentially become a free marketing agency for our biggest competitors, and, and, and there isn't anybody that wants to be in that business. And so it's very, very risky to, to, to do this correctly, but making sure you get it right can unlock the power of this model. And so, you know, for, for, for anybody out there that's thinking and is in a marketing role, you know, what we would encourage is, is really, you know, take time to think about and understand what is true commercial teaching insight versus just thought leadership or insightful content. And, of course, if you remember at CEB, we can spend, you know, several hours walking you through the differences there. Um, and once you come to that understanding as to exactly what it is and how to discern the difference, then obviously the process as to how to build it is the conversation that you then want to be having. Um, and that in and of itself is a very, very difficult thing to do, principally because, you know, what we're asking marketing organizations to do today is essentially understand needs and issues that customers have that they don't recognize themselves. And most product marketing processes today much in the same way as conventional wisdom of sales engagement revolves around needs analysis. You know, we'll go to trade shows, customer conferences, we'll conduct focus groups, and we'll come back to the department and say, we know exactly what our customers need. And then when you put a challenger lens over the top of that, you realize pretty quickly that none of that content is actually usable um, in our value propositions of tomorrow. Um, and so there's a whole methodology or process that, you know, we've developed here at CB that we can guide, obviously, people through as to how to actually build true commercial teaching content and insight, um, if that's helpful. That's well, very helpful. Yeah, I had a, a few conversations very recently, some of which on this show, too, um, about consumer insight and insight. And you had some uh, very good points about consumer insight versus just insight and what that looks like. Uh, I want to shift gears here and uh, talk a little bit about the CEB Sales and Marketing Summit. Uh, I know you both will be there. Uh, what sessions are you most looking forward to at this year's summit? Yeah, there's there's two in particular that I'm pretty jazzed about. I always love it when we get to hear 
our customers talk about what journey they've been on and the changes in their business. So number one for me is a conversation we're having with Hilton. Uh, Pat Stunner, co-author of The Challenger Customer, and Brian Waters, who's a strategic B2B marketing leader at Hilton, are going to be talking about disrupting customers' thinking at Hilton and how they did that in the B2B space where they're selling you know, event space, essentially, to planners and associations. And the journey that they've been on and some of the results that they've seen are pretty phenomenal. So that's number one for me. Uh, we also have a session where we're talking about the change in sales enablement technology and particularly the introdu- introduction of video and the idea of using video to be able to help your sellers constantly be customer ready. And that is something that every sales leader uh, talks to us about. How can I shorten onboarding time? How can I get my best sellers' tactics and techniques to everyone else uh, using smart video technology can help you do that. Uh, And so we're going to have a panel discussion on that as well. Those are two at the top of my list. From my perspective, I have um, one of my – one of our customers, rather, um, personal contact of mine, um, Mike Hawkins from Kelly Services, will be on a panel um, talking about um, the significant changes they've been making to their commercial organization. Um, Kelly Services, essentially um, an HR personal outsourcing company. Um, The two reasons I'm excited about that, the perspective that Kelly Services has on the future of um, of human capital management um, uh, and workforce distribution um, as, you know, technology impacts our workflows day to day is is really fascinating. Um, But second of all, the the magnitude of change that Mike has driven from a commercial standpoint and the impact and growth that they have seen year on year is truly remarkable. Um, And so hearing how Challenger has been, you know, significant contributor to that along with a lot of the other changes that they've driven um, it's going to really be a fascinating session for, for anybody that's thinking about investing in this model or, or making these types of changes. Um, Mike and their organization is a, is a perfect case study and example as to what's truly possible. All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Adam and Jessica, for being on the show today. Uh, this has been a great discussion about the Challenger strategy. Uh, I know I was certainly just taking it all in and learned a whole lot as you were talking. Uh, you know, I know some of our listeners will want to connect with you. So, where can they find out more about each of you and about CEB? Yeah, I would point them to find us on social, uh, that we, we spend a lot of our time engaging with um, folks across the world on the social channels. So on Twitter, I'm at, at Ms. Jessica Cash, and on LinkedIn, you can find me there. Uh, I've got a public profile as well. Just search for my name, Jessica Cash and CEB. And you can also check us out generally, um, our practice and program out online. If you just go to cebglobal.com, all one word, uh, you can find us there. Yeah, absolutely. And from my perspective, um, uh, fairly well connected on, on LinkedIn. So if anybody would like to reach out and discuss more, uh, my profile is uh, publicly available. So if you simply search for, for my name, Adam Maud, um, you'll find the, the first hit that comes up there. We'd be delighted to speak to anybody. All right. Well, thanks again to Adam and Jessica for joining me today. And as always, thanks to our listeners for following along. This episode was recorded at the Technology Advice Podcast Studio in Nashville, Tennessee. To listen to more episodes of B2B Nation, check us out on SoundCloud or iTunes. And to learn more about the show, you can find us on Twitter at technology underscore ADV or online at technologyadvice.com. Thanks for listening.